Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi. Hi. <laughs> okay. Let's pick it up. Let's, Let's pick it up. Pick it up. <laughs> I put you on the spot last week as yeah. we began with uh-huh. some questions. Yes. And um, I want to tell you that somebody who listens to this podcast got in touch with me and said, she's so smart. She's so fast on her feet. She's so good and all that. And I'm wanting to acknowledge that. Well, that, maybe that what true. he didn't get to hear then were the long pauses that I edited out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there weren't. There weren't any. You were. You were good. But uh, that you. anticipated what I what I did in ordinary life on Sunday by asking people to write down their responses to Christianity and me. Yeah. Besides your immediate family, what are you concerned about? And what questions do you have? We didn't get many questions. No, we got more um, more comments on the Christianity and me than anything, then a lot of concerns and then some questions. Um, and I collated those to a degree. I'm opening that as we speak. You but, did, and I got them right yeah. here in front of me. Yeah, and it was interesting. You know, if I sort of bro- painted it with a broad brush, the, the concerns go between the sort of deeply personal um, the things that are right in front of us to the very global um, things like the future of our democracy, division, racism, justice, you know, so from the very big to the very small. And I think that that speaks a lot to what we're holding is this broad based tension, insecurity, and unsureness to this very small, how in the heck do I put one foot in front of the other? day-to-day in my own life, (laughs) you know. So you notice, and one of the things that people had questions about or concerns about, Mm -hmm. in addition to the justice and the democracy thing, and I did not, because I didn't have the time to do this, sent you the ones that I got personally, but people are really interested in practices, Mm -hmm. in uh, spiritual disciplines, how to do those things and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I labeled um, those kind of purpose, like finding purpose. Does how does my what I believe show up in my life? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is an important question, a really important question. So I sort of think about um, we have this kind of social unrest situation, which um, we were just talking a little bit about, and then we have this kind of spiritual question, which is, which are often very personal questions. How do I respond to the social unrest in a meaningful, mindful way? Um, Because ultimately all we can control is ourselves, but my hope is that in sort of becoming more personally aware, we also create communities that are more aware and more spiritually and morally minded, you know? Um, Yeah, what do you you think of it? (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know, I got you to listen to a, uh, or to watch a frontline program, um, Democracy at Risk, is that the title of it? American Insurrection. American Insurrection. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, people who are listening 
you can go on to the Frontline website and find it immediately. I'll link and, to it in our in our podcast. Um, oh, okay, summer. great. That would be that. That would yeah. be great. Um, it's a kind of terrifying thing. For sure. For sure. I think the first words I said to you when we got on were something along the lines of sacred manure, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Um, but yeah, I think the, you know, my biggest takeaway in this moment, I haven't processed it because I just watched it this morning, is um, that what we thought were sort of dying fringe groups are becoming much more mainstream. And it harkens back to a time before I was born. Um, maybe at the edge of when you were born, when the era of Jim Crow, the era of racial terror, when there, when there were groups allowed to exist in the mainstream and run governments like the Ku Klux Klan, like you know um, white nationalists. I don't know what that was like to live with. But right now that these perceived fringe groups that we sort of thought, oh, these are just the cast offs who are longing for an America that no longer is, are gaining a lot of momentum and popularity. Mm -hmm. um, I do not know where the source of what I'm about to say uh, comes from, but I'm going to reference Brian McLaren's book on the second pandemic uh, when I teach Sunday. And it was not Brian McLaren, but it was somebody who said, if you want to step out of the various confirmation bias traps that are present in American culture, stop listening to either right or left wing media presentation. Yeah. And um, so that said, somewhere in the last two weeks, I heard some progressive person say on the news, there are certain people in the United States who do not want other certain people to vote, as if that were something new. It's not new. It's not new. It's been here from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And the podcast that you got me to listen to about the possibility of a civil war, mm -hmm. the woman who is uh, very smart in mm -hmm. studying civil wars all over the world, right, says that the seeds for what we're dealing with right now were planted when Lyndon Johnson signed the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. I went to seminary with a guy named Bill Moyers. Yeah, -uh. <laughs> yeah, Bill huh. Moyers and I were classmates together. Huh. Bill Moyers dropped out of seminary or he left the seminary he's going to be a Baptist preacher he left the seminary because Lyndon Johnson who was then senator wanted him to be his press secretary so Lyndon Johnson became vice president Bill followed him to Washington Kennedy got assassinated Johnson became president and when he did sign the civil rights law in, in civil rights act into law he turned to Bill Moyers and said, Bill, I just gave the South to the Republican Party. Yeah. And that's what's happened. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I think, um, I, I can't remember exactly where I read this, but it, it could have just been in conversation that this came up. But um, 
civil rights, um, abolitionists, people who have supported an inclusive participatory government um, doesn't necessarily mean that those people like Lyndon Johnson, like Abraham Lincoln were anti-racist. It, it means that they saw that the future was not tenable if we continued to suppress, actively suppress certain parts of the population. But they weren't exactly for equity either. You know, so, so this is the tension that we're sort of living out is, um, I don't wanna chalk it all up to racism, but I think that that is just a foundational piece of, of, the, of the divisiveness in our country. Um, it's identity, it's where do I fit in, um, how, how if, if I start seeing more inclusion from so many other voices in this uh, space, where does my voice fit? So, right. you know, and, and I think because we are so used to those voices being controlled by a particular group of people, that they are getting challenged is a threat to our identity. And I, I, I guess I don't say that as like some big revelation. Abraham Lincoln wasn't necessarily anti-racist. You know, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson wasn't necessarily anti-racist. Um, I say it as kind of a like, we need to realize that, that we still got so much work to do in actually turning and seeing anyone who we perceive as other as an aspect of self, as, as, as fully human. So uh, I wanna put this out. I don't have a complete thought about this, yeah. but I do think it's something that we need to consider. Um, I went back to research this morning, the background of Thich Nhat Hanh's involvement with 9-11. Mm. And uh, I'll elaborate on that when I speak on Sunday, I think. I haven't written it yet. But you know that Thich Nhat Hanh was asked yeah. how he would deal with the people who perpetrated the yeah. horrendous thing on American soil. And he said, um, I would get the people who did this in a room to those who have been victimized by this. And I would ask the victims to ask the perpetrators after a long period of silence. What have we done to make you so angry at us? Okay. The podcast that you put me on to about civil war, which is really outstanding, and you yeah. put a link to that. Uh, is the woman, uh, Barbara Water. Barbara Walter, not to be confused with Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> right. But Barbara Walter yeah. Yeah. said... Um, that kind of an, uh, um, a node you can see in the Charlottesville protest. And she said, people protest like that when they have lost hope. Yes, that hopelessness breeds violence. Yeah. Right. And, and that what the chant was is that you will not replace us. And then you referred to blacks and Jews. Mm -hmm. You will not replace us. Mm -hmm. So, how can we culturally? get in a position to listen to people who feel like they have been so disenfranchised. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I, I feel like this could be perceived as not related, but I think it is related. Um, part of my spiritual practice is doing yoga. 
I, I rely on it and I do it probably four to five times a week. And, um, you know, so much of the practice of yoga, which America has turned into an exercise is actually about mindfulness and breath and returning to the breath and being aware of the body and, and the yoga instructor who I've come to really like, um, was talking about our tendency to listen to, um, what she calls the, the flogger, the inner critic and our inner critic can be so loud. And that inner critic is um, devastating to our morale, to our self-esteem. And sometimes the inner critic also pushes us to be better. The question she said was, I don't know whether I would be sort of further along if I hadn't given so much airspace to my inner critic or if I had given less, but here I am, right? She says, she's talking to her spiritual director who is Buddhist and her spiritual director encouraged her to invite that inner critic in for tea. Invite the inner critic in for tea, but don't let him stay all day. And I sort of think that that applies here, right? Like invite those who don't feel seen in for tea, but we can't let them stay all day because, because that, that sense of victimization, that sense of hopelessness and violence that is erupting from, from a sense of not being seen can also be damaging to the psyche of hope. Right. So it's finding that tension, that playfulness. And I often think of tension like playfulness, that edge where we can say, come in for tea for a little while. Let's get this conversation started. We'll put a pause in it. We'll come back and we'll revisit. Well, this it. is exactly what Thich Nhat Hanh would say. Yeah. 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 And I'm questioning whether they would show up for tea. I'm, I, you know, in that frontline, um, documentary you mentioned, American Insurrection, and watching it, I was amazed that this reporter, and I think you said the same thing to me when you recommended it to me, could walk up to the homes, to the front doors of people who he's probably in opposition to and who would be in opposition to him, and he would just ask questions. And at first, I'm thinking of this one woman in it who was like, no comment, no comment. I have nothing to say but he got her talking. Mm -hmm. And so what is it? What is the anger? What is the aggression? What is the fear that needs to be aired and listened to? But without necessarily giving it power, because I think what's happening is that those fears and that anger is being given a lot of power, you know? Because that's the inner critic of our, of our times right now. So I, I, I have a subtext going while we're having this conversation. Yeah. I do want to listen to the people who feel like they're being replaced. And I also mm -hmm. want to keep very much on the front burner, the people who for decades have been replaced or have been suppressed. That's exactly, um, yeah. You know, how do we listen to both yes. sides? And I say we, as if I'm removed from this and where mm -hmm. I've really been the last since I guess, I guess it's well before watching that frontline thing is trying to figure out how I'm, how I am personally complicit in this, because you don't have a fight like this occurs unless there's something going on on both sides. Yeah. 
Well, yes. Um, I think the complicity is stronger than the, um, I think the complicity is quite strong because we've been, um, and, and, and I was thinking about this, you know, have I mentioned I'm doing a dissertation because it's obviously occupying a big part of my brain, but, um, I'm, I'm still in a lot of note-taking and, and kind of fleshing out a lot of pieces of the sections. And one of the things that I was thinking about is who is in opposition to this work, and 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 by the work that I I mean it, that I'm doing is imagining a process of healing f- from white supremacy, and and I mean specifically for white people because I think many white people feel kind of taken aback, like whoa, what? How am I aligned with this? How am I complicit with this? You know. Um, and I think that, that that surprise and that shock and that grief needs to be given space, right? And, and, our, and our complicity with it is so deep because we've participated and benefited from and even held up institutions and, and systems that, that we think are good. And I think that the mirror that's being held up is, have they been good for everyone? And the answer to that question is no, <laughs> you know? Right. and and. Yeah. And, and so how do we bring all of those people into the room with us that have not been supported by the systems and not necessarily say here, we want you two to be supported by these same systems that have supported us, but how do we actually recreate a system, radically reimagine something that just includes? That's what I'm interested in. And, and it is really hard to imagine something that hasn't happened. <laughs> Well, the, um, the, one of the sources that I'm referring to or will be referring to, and I wish, I wish I could get everybody who's listening to this podcast or everybody who attends Ordinary Life to get two really inexpensive ebooks from Brian McLaren's website. You cannot buy these books in a bookstore, but one of them is mm-hmm. called The Second Pandemic. And the other is called Why Don't They Get It? And the Why Don't They Get It book is about all the biases that come into play about why we don't understand, why we don't hear each other in in these conversations. And the second pandemic is about the fact that we seem to be on a pathway that will lead, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but will inevitably lead to, in this country, having a division between people who favor democracy and people who favor autocracy. Mm -hmm. And the people who, historically, the people who favor democracy have had a tendency to say to and about the people who favor autocracy, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's concede some things to them to make them happy and it will be okay. This is exactly Mm -hmm. what happened in Germany that allowed Hitler to come in power. He can't do much damage. Oh, let's make him chancellor. It won't be a big deal. Um, Mm -hmm. The people who are are in favor of democracy have a tendency, and I don't want to whitewash anybody, to play fairer by the rules than the people who want autocracy. They will do anything mm-hmm. to win. Mm-hmm. And 
So if that is the inevitable path that we're on, then how do we live with hope? That's something also yeah. that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. 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 You know, and so I, I was we I, in our sort of work with Curate, we've been listening to a lot of people talk about hope. And, um, and one person said, hope is sort of a privilege. And so we have to also make space for those who have felt hopeless. And how do we utilize, galvanize, and, um, and turn that hopelessness into something more creative? Not violence, because hopelessness can also devolve. And, and so somebody right? said that hope was a privilege? Hope is a privilege. And I, but my own husband, and he was, he's a, a, a Latino scholar, male. Uh, my own husband says, no, hope belongs to those who have been oppressed. Hope belongs to people who have known what it means to actually live in hopelessness because it is through struggle that hope becomes alive. And, um, you know, so there's so many ways to talk about hope. And, and I think of it, Joanna Macy's so brilliant at outlining what hope sort of looks like. You know, hope can be really mushy, like dead fish kind of handshake, right? <laughs> oh, I hope we can all get along. That's a very sort of benign thing to say. But hope that is also fueled by action, hope that is also fueled by a deep belief or conviction in something that is actually broader, bigger, expansive, is catalyzing. You know, that, that's our fuel. That's, that is the magic of humanity that we are so freaking optimistic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I wonder how we sort of can hold on to that optimism without becoming um, naive, you know? And I, I think sometimes the biggest sort of opposition to this kind of work, if you will, are people who minimize, who say, oh, it's not that bad, or we don't have a problem with racism, or those people are just the loud extremists. When we minimize, we tend to not look at what is. Okay, I, I know I sound like a six right now, but I always think we have to be really realistic with what is actually out there. What are the threats that are out there? We have to acknowledge them, we have to recognize them, and then we also have to learn how to not give them power. You know, invite it in for a cup of tea, but don't let it stay all day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, when I said that's what Thich Nhat Hanh would say, he wrote a book a long time ago called Anger, Cooling mm -hmm. the Flames mm -hmm. of Passion. And the, one of the things he says is that when the, he doesn't call them neuroses, but when these impulses come, you just open the door and invite them in for tea mm -hmm. and say, I'll take care mm -hmm. of you. That the more we deny, minimize, or push away, the larger Absolutely. that sort of shadow becomes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't think yeah. of a blue butterfly. That's all you can. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's all you can think about. So, you know, we, that's we, right. I, yeah. we have to figure out ways and to keep in mind that um, we may be too late to make a change. Yeah, and I think that that's where um, holding on to hope becomes harder. What is, you know, there's what there's the possibility that maybe human nature 
is rooted in conquer is rooted in domination. I, I don't know. I was driving my 12 year old to school today and, um, I asked him, I said, what do you worry about? Kind of similar to your question. What, what do you worry about in your life? And, um, he said, not much. I mean, he's 12. He still gets the, the, the beauty of being a young kid who doesn't have a whole lot of responsibilities outside of making his bed and doing his laundry. Um, (laughs) but he said, I worry about what humans have done to the earth. About what? What humans have done to the earth. And it is hard to encourage him that we haven't tipped. We haven't tipped over, you know? So that is what Um, Brian McLaren called the third pandemic. mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. There is a show now that I want to see. I read, I heard about it yesterday. It's the second most popular show on Netflix at the moment. It's about climate change. What is it? Hmm. Yeah. Which show is it? Well, uh, while we talk here, I'm going to. Um, You're going to look it I'm up. I'm going to look it up <laughs> with my trusty assistant, Siri. Um, yes. It's, I mean, it's such, it it is so real and it is so vast and we are handing our children a very big problem that is very hard to solve. I mean, the ideas of how to solve it are easy, but changing behavior is a whole other thing. Changing behavior is not easy. And that's where, you know, where it goes back to kind of human optimism. We're so in awe of ourselves and we are pretty awesome creatures. Like you know, we created this ability to talk to one another over airwaves <laughs> and, and not be in the same room. And that awesomeness, what is it? With great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, not said by Jesus, but said by others. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, we have great power and I'm not yet sure that we've fully grasped the great responsibility that comes with that. Well, I'm not finding the movie, so I'll have to get it, and you can put it into however you do this. I don't understand it. (laughs) What's the difference between hope and optimism to you? Um, That's a good question. I can almost find a synonymous relationship between the two there is definitely a place where they bleed together the movie is Um, don't look up don't look up okay um i hope hmm you know i guess hope has a spiritual aspect to it for me there is something grander in hope that is beyond me beyond the self let me give you a small example it includes me, but it's not only inclusive of me. Okay, go ahead and cue laughter. It's about baseball. But just this week, the first female head coach was appointed to a major league franchise. It's a, a, a low A team in the Yankees franchise. So the Yankees are like the team of all teams, the teams that teams aspire to be to, uh, the teams that players want to work for. The Yankees is obviously a just historic organization and they have hired a female head coach when in baseball is called a manager. And um, when I was a little girl, I played softball and I had fantasies of myself playing in the major leagues. 
you know, in my, in, in me coming up in my generation, I'm 45, that, that was really virtually an impossibility. It wasn't ever going to happen. And probably somewhere I knew that, but the hope kept me playing. Maybe someday I'll be good enough. Before me, before my little girl self had that hope, some other little girl had to say, I wish girls could play softball or baseball someday. Before her, some other little girl had to say, I wish girls could play sports, right? Like that hope, that thread of hope has been alive for generations. And and this week it manifested in one of the first women being appointed a major league baseball coach. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think hope has something that is beyond the self in it to me. So so I want to connect that to what we're doing in Ordinary Life about doing a deep dive into John. Mm. It really was gratifying to me to see some people saying, and I've had a number of people say in person to me how grateful they are that we're doing this, as we call it, deep dive into John. And um, I've learned a lot. I thought I knew a lot, but boy, I've learned yeah. reading Spong and reading Sanford and uh, trying to le- read Kimball's book, which is huge. I'll leave that to um, you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, around the year 70, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And uh, of course, the people who lived in that time, they had not experienced the Enlightenment, so they didn't think about things like we do. They didn't think cosmologically like we do. And so their belief was that God lived in the temple, and it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And 20 years later, out of this community, there are this, these writers who put down their experience and expressions and faith that result in the gospel of John. Mm -hmm. This rose out of the ashes Mm -hmm. of that horrible time for them. And that to me is a good example of hope Mm -hmm. that out of that people could still affirm that it was possible to step into a broader, braver life. I'm, I'm right now uh, visiting on a regular basis with someone who has actively died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this person said to me last week, ever since she got the diagnosis where the physician said, there is nothing else we can do for you. Mm-hmm. And this person entered a hospice. They said to me, I don't know why. But since hearing that, I have not been frightened at all. Mm. I believe that everything is going to be okay. Mm. What do you call that? And I said, you call that grace. Mm. Mm. Which is what Kathleen sings. The grace in dying. That's the word (laughs) she uses for God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when we talk about the, the human, right, are, are we, have we come too far towards the edge of destruction? That's the other beautiful thing about humans is that we can experience grace. And there's so much love that happens between us and impossible situations. Right. You know, and the, the affirmation that I think is very hard for many people who have been raised 
in the kind of um, storyline that I talked about Sunday yeah. about Eden, the fall, yes. redemption, yes. and then you either go to hell or go to hell, yeah. heaven or hell. Uh, that storyline gives people this sense of false security that if they just believe the right things, then everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, nothing lasts. Yeah. Everything falls away mm -hmm. and everything arises and it falls away and arises and falls away mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, we're actively witnessing that. I mean, we are at any time actively witnessing the rise and the fall away and the rise and the fall away, but it is interesting to find ourselves there right now, you know, right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have to work to make sure that I think we have to work to make sure that the uh, dream of democracy, which this country has never lived up to. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's can still... be can be a growing reality mm -hmm. for a growing number of people yeah. in our country. And it's you know, yeah, Kamala Harris said just the other day and speaking on January 6th, democracy is fragile and strong. It is its own paradox, right? And it right. is really a great. I really loved her words about that. And that is true about human nature. It is fragile and strong, but right. I have a gratitude because we're about to get off. Um, my gratitude is, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. So, you know, how in the heck do we land where we land in the time period where we land over this 4 billion year history of earth? And I think of all, I'm so grateful that our little comet trails have crossed paths in this lifetime. It is kind of yeah, miraculous. You mean yours and mine? Yours and mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I'm so grateful. So. Okay, you won't be there Sunday. You'll be off camping. Camping but next the Sunday after that, we'll be back at it. Sounds good. Heckling each other or whatever. <laughs> I'll bring the peanuts. <laughs> stirring, stirring up trouble. That's right. That's good do. trouble. Good trouble. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to you. Have soon. a good time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.